Welcome to Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. I am Jonathan Cook, and with me, as always, is Brian Jenkins. Yes. Hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, we're doing great, Brian. We're glad to see you. You've been in Oklahoma City for a few days. Yeah. Uh, this is actually a first for us, right? We've always been together for the podcast. Yeah, usually Physically in person, same location. So this is the first it's time. Always we've the same location. Sometimes we're in Memphis. No, no, no it, it varies. That's right. Yeah, we're not physically in the same place today. So. Yeah, so it's it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, hopefully, we'll still have the same fun banter that we normally do. But with us today, we have a special treat. Uh, we have John Bradford, the owner of PetScreening.com. John? Hello. Thank you for having me on the show, guys. I appreciate it. He is also not in Birmingham or Oklahoma City. That's right. He's, uh, he's also on the the internet Zoom call with us. So, so you are. You want to tell everyone where you're from and and how you yeah. got started with pet screening and and why we're recording a podcast with you today, John? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, once again, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, my name is John Bradford. I live in the great state of North Carolina. Dialing in today from the north side of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I am a property manager who also uh, served in the North Carolina State Legislature. I was in the House of Representatives uh, several years. And frankly, as a property manager, I was the go-to legislator in both the House and the Senate. So I carried a lot of the legislation regarding tenant-landlord law. And you know, after being a lawmaker for several years, I saw that there were some issues when it comes to dealing with animals, assistance animals, and then my experience as a property manager dealing with pets and people who say they don't have pets, and then you really find out they do have pets or pets that bite. And I had this idea to bring my two skill sets together from both property management and my legislative background, and I created this product called PetScreening.com. And that's why I'm on the show today is to tell you a little more about what we're doing and how we're changing the entire rental housing industry and how people handle pets and animals and even residents and tenants that say they have no pets. We kind of address all buckets, if you will. That's fantastic. Now, John, this is a long awaited episode. Uh, Brian yeah. likes to likes to talk about PetScreen.com on <laughs> or at least allude to it in, I, like I don't it. know, every episode. It's almost as much as I talk about polygons or Eastlake. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> slowed down to every other episode. Okay. So. We appreciate the support. We do. For future episodes now, so. Well, I know your people are listening because we do have folks that reach out to us say, oh, we heard about you from Brian Jenkins. And so we thank you for those, uh, those shout outs, if you will. Very <laughs> welcome. So, you know, John and I have known each other through NARPM. Um, John, I think I first first met you when you were RVP. Uh, yeah, when I was in the Atlanta chapter. Yeah, I ran. Yeah, I ran. I ran that region. I think for five years, and I, mean, I was on the board for seven. And I ran the southeast region for five. I've been in NARPM. Gosh, I think thirteen years. Yeah, made a lot of made a lot of friends like you guys in the industry, which you know makes it worthwhile. You know, it's it was one of the few associations that I've sort of experienced where even though everyone is sort of competitors, everyone's really friends and they share information and it's uh, it's pretty refreshing. And I, that's a neat, it's something special about NARPA. I think we talk about, we touch on that pretty often about how friendly the competition quote unquote is. I mean, it's, it's very a friendly kind of network back and forth. And I mean, that's John, that's, that's how I've basically come to meet you. If, if I didn't have Brian, it would be through NARPA. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's, that kind of relationship, when we talk about why it's important to have your property manager, uh, no matter with, whether you're in 
you know, Alabama or North Carolina or uh, Seattle, it doesn't matter where you are, the property manager that you are choosing to make sure that your properties are running smoothly, they're making you money, they're not going to end up costing you in the turn, the, 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 that property manager, the importance of them being a NARPA member is like, just there's, there's no, there's no heavier weight I can put on that than to all of our listeners, please just make sure that they're NARPA members. That's, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like step one. Well, there's four, yeah, there's 46 million rental assets in the U S and of those 46 million, about 11 million fall under what we call single family residential. So those are houses, condominiums, townhomes, things that are individually deeded and the NARPM association, which has been around 30, 30 ish years has probably 6,000 professional members. So we probably as an industry represent maybe 2 million and there's 11 million out there. So I think a, a lot of the reason why everyone is so friendly and so willing to share is there's still a lot of independent landlords out there that try to go at it alone. And while a part of me can respect that, most of them eventually pivot to a professional property manager. And that's really where NARPM comes to serve. And there's so much business that's still out there that in our industry, we can share and collaborate and work together without feeling like we're running over each other. Because when you're representing approximately 2 million out of, 2 million out of 11, there's a lot of upside for everyone. There is a lot of upside. And uh, I think uh, example of, uh, we, we actually have an event next week, John, that's uh, a property management summit that we're hosting. AHI uh, Properties is hosting along with Matthew Whitaker with GK Houses. Yeah. You know, Matthew. And Great guy. Yeah. Got some, uh, got some good property managers, Dee Lee, David Lightfritz, Tal Kramer, and Trent Ratliff coming over from Atlanta to help us as part of an expert panel. So we're uh, looking forward to that. We've got a lot of uh, attendees registered, and it's kind of going to be our inaugural event to introduce the concepts and ideas and education pieces from NARPM and best practices to a lot of different property managers that we try to target between Huntsville, Birmingham, and Montgomery, Alabama. So uh, good luck with that. So that's a, all those names I know. So those are all good uh, professional property managers and should add a lot of value to your panel. Like you, John, I, I was introduced to all of these people uh, like I was introduced to you, not that you were introduced to him this way, but through through the the NARPM emails that that I'm in, and we talk back and forth about, oh, I've had this issue, and that's one of the great things about NARPM is we're all talking to each other constantly. If someone is having an issue in Atlanta that I might not be having, but I might have a an idea for a solution to it, that that's one of those neat, you know, fun little threads that being a NARPM member. I guess kind of grants us as we, we get to chat back and forth with, Hey, I, I have, I'm having this issue. Does anybody have a solution for it? And yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've probably been in email contact with all of them at, at, at some point before I actually got to meet them in Atlanta. So, so yeah. it's, it's a neat, neat organization. All right. Well, let's talk about pets. That's one of my favorite subjects. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, we're having we're having fun here at petscreening.com. I, I can tell you that it's been an amazing journey. And you know, a, a good segue from NARPM to pet screening. This idea of pet screening actually came to mind when I was at a NARPM national event. It was the broker owner, which traditionally has been held in Vegas. I, I know it's changing this coming year, but I was in a NARPM session. It was one of the you know just the, the main tent sessions. And there was someone there speaking from HUD. And of course, very quickly, the issue regarding 
reasonable accommodation requests and animals came to the forefront. And this HUD representative spent most of his time answering tons of questions about that subject. And, and granted, a lot of the questions were somewhat repetitive, just asked differently, which does happen when you have large groups of people. But one thing that I observed in that room, there were about a thousand people in that room. It was in Vegas, so everything is big in Vegas. And there were three microphones spread across the back of the room so people could come up and ask questions. And by no exaggeration, you know, this guy probably spent 45 minutes of his one hour on this particular topic. And I just recognized that a room full of what I would call a personality property managers, these are the only folks who can even go to these meetings, by the way, are people that either own their companies or are an owner, or they're the designated broker. So these are people who are in positions of decision making. And usually these are the same people that are texting and, you know, on the phone and sort of squirming around, not paying much attention because we're all trying to run our businesses. And just the one thing I noticed was everyone in that room was hanging on to every word this gentleman had to say. People were at that microphone, all three microphones, probably stacked 10 people deep. And it was in that meeting, like I, I'm not exaggerating, I don't make this up. I've, I've told this story a few times. Uh, but I think it's particularly relevant here since we were just talking about the value of NARPM. It was in that meeting where I literally thought, I need to figure out a way to use my legislative background and my understanding of fair housing, you know, and how to read laws and make laws and pass laws, and then take that with my property management experience and go figure out a way to help the industry dealing with just pet policies and animal policies. And it was in that room that I started looking for domain names. And it took me a few weeks, a few weeks to finally find a domain name that I liked and that was available and it happened to be petscreening.com. But that's a true story about how this company really came to be. And I give a lot of credit to NARPM for helping me be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's, that's really cool because I was actually at that meeting and I remember, uh, I remember that, that session. Yeah, Brian Green from HUD was the guest. Yeah. He was the deputy, assistant deputy director of the Fair Housing Equal Opportunity Office and, um, and great guy. And he, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for him because he just could not get away from that subject. He had so many other things to talk about, but it just, it ruled the session. And, uh, and that's really where pet screening, the idea, if you will, the concept. At the time, I didn't know it'd be called pet screening, but I knew I was going to go create a product, a service that would help the industry. And here we are two and a half years later in a working service. We're approaching a million rental assets across the country that have like self-registered with our service. I mean, you know, they have come to our website and signed up. Uh, we have a team of about 11 people here. It's been an, it's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun. And, um, and really, I think the spirit of entrepreneurism here in the, in this wonderful country here, the USA. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, before we start talking about the FIDO score and all, all yeah. the things that go into pet screening, and, and this isn't necessarily a can of crazies, Brian. I know we like to talk about that, but, but I think, I mean, our listeners are generally speaking, you know, new investors, new property owners, new players in this entire game. But let's talk about what the importance of making sure that these pets are registered, making sure that they are, uh, you know, allowable in a property, and also Brian. Let's touch on the fact that if you're if you own a bunch of properties and you say, well, instead of worrying about all this pet stuff, 
let's just say no pets, no pets at all. I don't want any pets in, in, in any of my properties. Let's, Brian, do you mind touching on that? Kind of give us a little bit of crazy shakes and then, but also give us like, what's the worst case scenario, honestly? Yeah, well, and I think we've all, you know, as property managers, probably have all seen some sort of worst case scenario, but kind of alluding back to earlier episodes, there, there was a uh, statistic that I heard about two years ago and it was nearly, uh, which John can probably tweak this a bit, but it was nearly 70% at that time. It's nearly 70% of all applicants have pet, have a pet or pets. And uh, so if you're a landlord that makes the decision, no pets are allowed in my property, you're automatically excluding that portion of the rental pool. So your, your pool's much smaller to choose from. So, you know, we all know that that can result in additional days on market and, and cost uh, to the property owner. And then, you know, kind of to my worst case scenario, on average, worst case scenario involves possibly a room of carpet, some trim, back door blind, scratching of the back door. Window cell. We've seen a window cell. That was interesting. We haven't seen a couple of those. But really, uh, you know, just speaking in, in generalities and averages, I think that the the cost to repair those pet damages is far less than people might think it is. Yeah. And not it's not a detriment. It's certainly not to the detriment of excluding that percentage of applicants. Because I I like to tell the story of long ago, I signed an owner back in 2005. We still managed for him. So 14 years later. And I remember this house. It was a 3-2 garden home. It just happened to be the same exact floor plan of the house that my wife lived in when I first met her. And that's why it always sticks out, plus what happened next. And he's, you know, he's a he's an investor and uh, does commercial property, residential. And when we walked the property, it had his guys, they'd come in, they'd rehab the property. It was made ready for, for rent. And it was in a cul-de-sac with a fenced backyard. And uh, anyway, so we were talking. He goes, you know, I don't want to allow any pets in this property. And we had some conversation back and forth because I always like to educate the owner. It's like, well, if you, if you do that, here's here's what will not happen. You're not yeah. going to be lose everybody. And uh, so I made a decision on that day, go ahead and list it as such. And then as the application started to flow in on this property, we still got leads and applications with pets. And even it was with it actually marketing as no pets allowed. No pets. That's correct. Um, and literally the first 16 applications we took on the property all had pets and we just kept coming at them with, Hey, We've got an application, but they've got a pet. You want to reconsider your position. <laughs> on the 16th one, he decided, you know what, just, just roll with it and just take a chance. And since that day, he has allowed pets every single time because he realizes, you know, the averages. And then we build in things like pet rents and pet inspections and things of that nature. So so it, it kind of offsets some of the, the risk to the homeowner or at least mitigates it and allows us to keep a better eye on the property. So, so those are my, my, my fun two, you know, my, my stat and my fun two story. Yeah. Uh, and really we've, I think, I think pets and pet damage get a bad rap. Uh, I just think that there's, you know, based on the, yeah, gosh, just hundreds and hundreds of move outs that we've had uh, involving pets over the years. Cause I've been at it for 19 years. So that's a lot of move outs. I, I just, that's, that's kind of worst case scenario to what I've seen. It's been the biggest expense has always been carpet and carpet can be expensive on the right property, but for the average rental property, if it's a B-class property, 
and you're using builder grade or slightly above that, you're you're not looking at a lot of money to replace yeah. a room. Well, let's talk about okay. Let's let's get John involved here. Let's talk about right, if you're allowing for your applicants to have pets. If you're like, all right, fine, pets, uh, pets upon home or approval, which is my favorite way to put it, is yeah, we'll we'll accept a pet, but the owner is going to have to approve the pet. Let's talk about how do we approve which pets we're going to allow on the properties. Let's talk about pet screening. Let's talk about our a FIDO score. John, do you want to you want to explain what a yeah. FIDO score is? I, not, I not will. FICO. So, I'm not saying FICO. Yeah. It's FIDO score. Five. FIDO score, clever marketing. That's a that's a trademark term. FIDO score, and and people in the property management business completely understand a FIDO score because they're so used to working with a FICO score when it comes to someone's credit worthiness. So the FIDO score really speaks to them. Before I exclusively talk about pets, I do want to just pile on to what Brian was saying. Even even individuals that say they do not have pets, that isn't always the case. And so while a while an investor might think that by saying no pets are allowed, that they're exempt from damage or liability. It's sort of, it's, it's a different way of thinking because you still have no idea if they're sneaking a pet in. You still have no idea if a boyfriend or girlfriend's coming over every weekend and spending the night and bringing his or her dog. You have no idea if the parents are coming up to the big you know, you're, you know, and you're in Alabama. So there was a big football game going on. I was a decent team down there. And so I don't know, be bringing, I don't know if they're that good. <laughs> We're going to get into the Alabama Clemson discussion. I was going to say uh, for the record, I'm a Clemson grad. So, Hey, go Tigers. Uh, <sighs> War Eagle, man. War Eagle. I get you. That's right. Oh yeah. War Eagles. Yeah. So, you know, even when you have a no pet policy and I think of student housing, student housing, which is really a part of the multifamily industry for years, they've had no pet policies, but these, these, these kids are bringing pets anyway, but they're bringing them as animals or they're sneaking them in. So I just want to say that even when you think you're having no pets because you have a policy, rest assured, you, chances are you still are probably having them. You just don't know about it. And then I was you, just pet sitting. Yeah. Well, with companies like WAG and Rover, and I don't know if either one of you have heard about WAG or Rover, but WAG or Rover are one of the two hottest pet tech startups in the last two or three years. They're sort of like an Uber model with the exception that independent contractors can register for their service as either pet walkers or pet sitters. And there are individuals that are bringing other people's pets into their homes for a weekend and getting paid 30 bucks a night. So they're making $60 over the weekend. And then that pet goes back home on Monday. And in their minds, they're not violating the lease instrument because it's not their pet. It's someone else's pet. So in their mind, well, it's not mine, but they're still making 60 bucks for the weekend. So when you have companies that are creating an easy way for people to make money by pet sitting and pet walking, it even exacerbates the issue of unauthorized pets or it creates a loophole in people's pet, you no know, pet policies. So pet screening, you know, we really, you know, we have a service here that I'm very fortunate. I'm very you know, maybe lucky too. I don't care whatever word you want to call it. We have a service that everyone, all the stakeholders seem to love. And what I mean by that is we have a service that uh, the owners of the assets, so probably the listeners of this podcast, you know, investors who own assets, they love pet screening because pet screening brings a layer of liability and brings some formal records to the surface that are to help the owner of the property. The property managers love it because they are culpable because they're obviously working for an owner who has hired them and they too want to have some additional diligence, help, some additional protections 
when it comes to animals, you know, we have legitimate animal owners who have real disabilities and real disability related needs. And they appreciate the fact that our review process with our in-house legal review team is helping weed out the bad actors. We have physicians and nurses and therapists and counselors who we call and email to make sure that the documentation that's submitted is in fact authentic, reliable, and credible. So they appreciate it because they just, are, they just appreciate the fact that we're calling to make sure that signature really is theirs. The residents, especially more in multifamily, they appreciate it because they think there's a more accountable community of just both pet and animal owners and even people with no pets who really do understand the policy of no pets. So we really are servicing the entire gamut of the rental housing industry from multifamily to vacation to senior housing, student housing, single family. We like to say if you put a roof over someone's head and you're renting that to somebody else, I don't care if it's short term, long term, pet screening is a no brainer service for you. And, um, and we are just having a lot of fun signing people up every single day. We have new clients that come to us. So let's talk about pets because you asked yeah. about the score. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so our philosophy at pet screening is uh, we think pets are a lot like children. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced going to a restaurant and there's the table next to you and there's like a screaming child or, or maybe screaming children, crying, whatever it is. And it's very easy to get frustrated at the children. But when you really think about it, you know, these are still children after all. So it's really incumbent on the parents to do a better job of managing their child in a public restaurant. And so we would all agree that there are different types of parenting that's out there that leads to that type of result. Well, when it comes to pets, it's really no different. Pets are a function of the pet owner. And the pet owner represents a large part of the problem. And what we do at pet screening is we collect a lot of data about the pet. So we collect photos, sex, size, breed, color, veterinarian, veterinarian number, vaccination records. Is there a microchip uh, that's installed? And if so, who's the microchip provider? Is it neutered or spayed? If it's a cat, is it clawed or declawed? How old is the pet? How long have you owned the pet? Because there can be a big difference between a pet that you've owned since a puppy versus a pet that you got last Monday from the local shelter that's seven years old. You don't know the seven-year history prior to you getting that pet. So we collect a lot of data about the, about the actual pet. But we don't stop there at pet screening. We then go into a lot of questions about the pet owner and their care of their pet, their understanding of pet policies, their understanding of what normal wear and tear is when it comes to pet damage, for example. And if either one of you have ever taken the Myers-Briggs, this is probably the best example I can you know, use for your show here, is you take a Myers-Briggs test, which is a personality indicator, and you get asked a lot of questions that are not alarming. Sure. But Questions are used to tell a bigger story at the end of at the end of the test. So the questions that we ask pet owners are, you know, very comprehensive, but none of them are alarming. But they do when when the data is analyzed and put together, it tells a bigger story. Mm-hmm. And we take the data and we analyze it both from the pet owner and the pet, and we combine that data, and then we give a housing related risk score, and we call that as we've talked about very cleverly, a FIDO score. And our FIDO score is not intended whatsoever to say that this pet is a good pet or bad pet or that the pet owner is a good pet owner or bad pet owner. Our FIDO score represents the housing-related risk that we think 
the property manager and the owner, which would be your clients, you know, the, the, the individuals listening to your show right now who own the properties, the risks that they're going to take. And we're looking at all kinds of factors, everything from age of these pets, because pets are not, they're physically fully developed at 24 months, but cognitively they're still developing through 24 months. So we're looking at the age of the pets. We're looking at the size of the pets. We're looking at energy level of the breeds. We're looking at propensity to be aggressive of the breeds, both high propensity uh, to be aggressive, moderate to be uh, aggressive. Uh, we're looking at spayed and neutered. There is something to be said about a dog that's spayed or, or neutered, especially certain times of the year. And, you know, as silly as it sounds, all these indicators really give a great indication of the risk, the housing-related risk that one's going to take. And that FIDO score is just an easy way for a property manager to quickly assess, is this a pet that, and a pet owner together that we, you know, want to do business with. And even a higher risk, lower score pet doesn't mean that the answer should be no. A, a, we'll pick on America's dog, a golden retriever. Yeah. You can have a male, unneutered, young, and that's the reason it's not neutered yet because it's young, mm-hmm. uh, puppy, meaning maybe it's 10 months old, which is still by definition a puppy in veterinarian terms. And that that golden retriever puppy is going to have a lower FIDO score because it brings more risk. Why? I mean, we're not saying golden retrievers are bad dogs. In this particular example that I'm giving you, it just says that, hang on, you're going to have a large breed dog that right now is still a puppy, which means it's probably chewing on things. It's probably not quite potty trained all the time. And we will give it a lower FIDO score today. But as that dog stays with us, and assuming the pet owner, by the way, answers his or her questions what we would consider to be favorably in our in our product for the uh, for the overall analysis, then that FIDO score can improve over time with that pet and pet owner because now the dog's starting to mature. So maybe better said, a eight-year-old golden retriever is going to have a little bit less risk than a puppy golden retriever. So I'm very, it's very important to not just think if it's a low FIDO score, it's an absolute no. It just means you have to take an extra moment or two to kind of look at well, why is it a low FIDO score? And we ask so many questions, it could be because of a former pet bite and it actually harms someone. That could create a very low score, but so could the example of the puppy. Okay. So score is dynamic and that FIDO score can be used. You know, Brian, you mentioned pet rents, pet deposits or non-refundable. You know, every firm does it differently. The FIDO score is being used by our clients to fine tune their pricing policies related to pets and the owners, of course. So if you have a low-risk, high-score FIDO score, then you might just charge the most basic fees that you have when it comes to a pet. But if the score is a little more riskier from a housing risk perspective, then it would be absolutely well within your rights to charge a little more because you're taking a little more risk. And we do this every day with tenants and their FICO scores, and we reflect that in the different security deposit amounts that we take to put in a trust account. This is a similar methodology. The difference is you're not dealing with a protected class. Pets are not a protected class. So you have the full freedom to charge whatever you think the market will bear and whatever you think you should charge to cover your risk. And that's what the FIDO score does. That's how it works. And it is being used in that capacity, which brings a big smile to my face. That's great. 
well, you, you were talking about protected classes. What about, uh, and, and I know Brian likes to talk about uh, emotional support animals, mm-hmm. but does a, I don't, I don't, not just, an, just any other support animal. Like, yeah, just animals in general. Yeah, in general. Th- those, yeah, were, so do they ha- generally have a higher FIDO score? Or, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. or how does that work? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. So everything, you know, we talked about the, no, the people with notepads. For clarity, if someone, if one of your tenant prospects says they have a pet, you still send them to pet screening. Mm-hmm. We still screen people with notepads. It's, it's free to them. It doesn't cost them a penny. Of course, it doesn't cost your owners a penny. It doesn't cost property managers a penny. You, we could never charge someone who has no pet any kind of money. That would be goofy. But yep. what we are doing is we're taking those individuals who say they have no pet, and they are codifying the record that they not only understand, but that they are reading a set of policies and questions that relate to no pet sitting, no pet visiting without your expressed consent. Obviously, you can always agree to it. But what we're saying is you can't do this without you know, advanced or prior written consent. And it's very quick. It's six questions. They must acknowledge and read all of them. They can't move ahead without it. And then they do a legal attestation that they're telling the truth. So if they really have a pet and they're lying, now they're on the formal record as attesting that they said they don't have a pet and they're attesting legally that they're not lying. And that becomes very powerful in a case of adjudication if a bite incident occurs at a property where a tenant said they had no pet. You're able to surface this no pet profile and say, look, not only did you say you didn't have a pet, but you did a legal attestation that said you have no pet. And obviously, a judge and jury is not going to hold the property owner or even the property manager accountable because you did your diligence. You asked all the right questions. It would be the individual who would really be, as we like to say, in deep dog poop. So that's how we handle people with no pets. Free, easy, takes two or three minutes for them to do this. We added that functionality at the very beginning of 2019. We talked about pets and the FIDO score. Uh, It's still free to property managers, free to investors. We do charge the pet owner a very nominal fee to go through our process. That's how we make our money. And it's $20 for one pet, $15 if they have an additional pet. But the tenants pay it, not the property manager, not the investor of the asset. And, And we do give them a really cool product in return. So this is not a typical fee where they don't get something. We give them one year to be able to use this service because once they've uploaded their photos and their vaccination records and their microchips, they can share this with their doggy daycares, dog walkers, a vacation landlord, another landlord, campground. It becomes a really neat pet management tool for the pet owner. So for their 20 bucks or 15 bucks, they're getting a really neat product for a whole year. Now the third bucket that you were talking about is animals. And under the Fair Housing Act, there's a, a, a very technical definition of assistance animals. Mm-hmm. And assistance animals is sort of a encompassing term of any animal that brings some sort of assistive help, if you will, to someone that has a disability and a disability-related need for the animal. So think of it as someone who is without feeling in their legs, they need a wheelchair because without a wheelchair, they would not be able to really have some... A, 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 a lifestyle of comfort because it'd be very difficult to get around. So in this, in this light, animals are supposed to be bringing, you know, additional help to these individuals who have a disability and disability related need. Animals are not pets. You are not allowed to charge any pet related fees. So all the fees we talked about earlier are all for pets and these are not, these are animals. So it is, it is not even, 
remotely reasonable to try to charge anyone with an animal any kind of money from a deposit to rent, anything. Uh, at Pet Screening, even though the name of our company is Pet Screening, when someone goes through our animal, we call it a reasonable accommodation request process, we refer to them as animals once they have indicated that they have an animal. Even though the name of our company is Pet Screening, when they go through our product, they click on the box that they're seeking a reasonable accommodation request, we then start referring to their dog or their cat or whatever it is as an animal because it's no longer a pet. And those animals do not receive a FIDO score. FIDO scores are only for pets. So an animal would never ever even get a FIDO score because it would be completely irrelevant and we would never want our clients to think that they could charge and that's usually the way the FIDO score gets adopted. So we didn't want that confusion in the marketplace. So there is no FIDO score ever issued for animals. Now that process is handled by a legal review team that we have here in-house at Pet Screening. And it's run by a federal litigator who has the authority to litigate in federal court anywhere in the country. And we have a review team. We even have a therapist on our review team uh, who works under our attorney because a lot of the documentation we receive is are from therapists and counselors. And we never second guess what a therapist is saying, but it is helpful just to make sure that the language does address the issue of having a disability and a disability related need. And what we do at pet screening is we review those requests. We follow the Fair Housing Act guidelines and we make sure the requests meet the standard. So we are making sure that the documentation is sufficient under the Fair Housing Act guidelines. So if somebody submits a certificate for like an emotional support animal, and it's a registration certificate, those certificates look really sexy. But certificates do not, they're not considered sufficient documentation under the Fair Housing Act guidelines. So we don't, you know, we don't judge people for submitting those certificates. We know they've gone online and purchased a certificate, but that's really none of our business. What we do is we will return that to the requester, which is the person who's seeking uh, this accommodation request with their animal. And we just explain to them that that documentation is insufficient. And then we send them a copy of the memo that HUD, uh, the guidance memo that HUD published along with the Department of Justice. And it's a great memo. It's from 2013. And it's the same memo. They've not updated that particular uh, guiding document. And we send them the document and say, hey, please read this. This talks about your rights. And, um, and then if they come back, with a new piece of documentation, we review it again. And we will review it again and again and again until either it meets the standard or they decide to convert it to a pet. We have a lot of requesters that go through this process and eventually decide that they don't have what they need and they draw, they basically make their own decisions and they decide to self-convert the request to a pet application. And when they do that, now we can charge the $20. Now we can issue a FIDO score, which goes to the property manager. And now you can decide if you want that pet or not, because you can say no to pets for any reason. They're not a protected class. But if it's an animal, you have, you have none of those rights. So our service is just help. We help people stay in the lawful lanes and we do it very non-punitively. We do it without emotion. We're not judgmental. We're not critical. We tr treat people with kindness. And we get a lot of spirited people who are upset because they feel like that their certificate should work. And rather than be combative back, we just continue to kill them with kindness and keep sending them the HUD memo and say, please read this because that's the best way to handle it. And we do this for property managers. 
because you should be doing this. And most property managers don't do it because they're confused and they're worried they're going to get in trouble. And that's why I think pet screening has been so successful so far. Well, right? Yeah, well, it, I, know, I, I think we're just kind of sitting here just things. processing right now. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of information, I know. I, did, I wasn't aware of the, uh, the non- the no pet profile. Yeah. The no pet profile. Yeah. We rolled, we rolled that out, Brian, uh, in 2019, we called that, we called it PS version 2.0 pet screening version 2.0. Now for people who've never used us, they didn't know what version 1.0 was, so it wouldn't really matter. But to all of our existing customers <laughs> who used us in 2017 and 18 for us to bring out this no pet profile has been huge. And I will tell you the multifamily industry, I give them credit. They're the ones that really pushed us to help them with their residents on site who claim they have no pets because they'll still see them walking pets and they know that they said they didn't have one. So yeah. this really helps. And I want to be clear, and I know you guys are a class act and you probably have the very best leases available in all the places you do business, you know, and I know you're in several locations, but even with the best leased instruments that talk about, you know, no pet, no pet visiting, no pet sitting, no unauthorized pets, challenge is these tenants are not reading the leases. They're using these electronic signature documents. They're clicking through very quickly. And in their minds, and maybe even in their hearts, the fact that their girlfriend or boyfriend or partner or whoever that's coming over every weekend and spending the night and bringing their dog, they don't even stop to think that that's a big deal because they go, well, it's not my pet. I don't have a pet, so I'm not violating my lease. The cool part about our service is we're just another layer on top of your lease. The difference is they have to read ours. Well, the kind of the kind of cool thing is we, ironically, we were just talking about the pet sitting option the other day in the Birmingham office. And I don't even know what spurred that conversation, but. Somebody claimed they were relevant. pet sitting. Um, yeah, well, you know, typically what you used to get was the, well, I was just watching for the weekend or, you know, my friend was sick and. And uh, so we've, I know property managers for years have, have built in fee structure, penalty fee structures for unauthorized pets once they're mm -hmm. discovered uh, and proven you to be there. So it, you know, pretty, and one, pretty, one thing that's really, you know, so we, you know, we talked about the no pet and we call everything profiles. We have a no pet profile, we have a pet, a pet profile, and then we have an animal profile. And, you know, the no pet profile is free to everyone. The animal profile is free to everyone. The only place pet screening can even monetize our product, our service, is by cha charging the pet owners the $20 or $15. But I've already described to you that they get a really neat product for 12 months. So they're getting value for their money, which is why, again, I think we've been so successful. We don't have any grumpy people using our service because everybody's sort of winning. But one thing we've built into our, our service is each of those profiles can be electronically shared with, and I'll pick on like your field teams. You probably have maintenance field teams and all the markets. So we'll pick, I know you're out, I think, in Oklahoma City. And so, you know, Oklahoma City is, is, quite, a, is quite a distance away from uh, Birmingham, but you still have people probably walking properties or, or you know, changing filters or, or maintenance call, whatever it may be. But you have other people who work for you that are going into these rentals. And that's another opportunity to have another set of eyes and ears when you're not there. And what you can do with all of our profiles is you can share them electronically by copying a link because every profile has its own digital kind of DNA link. 
you can put those digital DNA links into a work order. And imagine being a maintenance person in Oklahoma working for your company and they have the key in their hand and they're getting ready to put the key in the door. But before they do that, they go to their work order, they see the, the digital link and they click it and it pops up and it says no pet profile. Now they know that this person, this tenant is not supposed to have any pets whatsoever. So they put the key in the door and they're greeted by a furry orange tabby cat, you know, you know, rubbing up and down his legs, saying hello. Now the report back, to you, say, you know what? I've got a no pet profile because you sent it to me on my work order, but there's a cat here. And now you can hold your tenants more accountable. And then now you can implement it without feeling guilty of an unauthorized pet charge because this person knew that they weren't allowed to do this without your permission because they did the no pet profile. And so let's, let's pretend like they have a pet or an animal. Before they put the key in the door, they can quickly not only see that it should be a dog, but now they can see the picture of the dog, the name of the dog, the size of the dog, the breed of the dog. And now the safety of your maintenance team, which I know is paramount to you guys and even your vendors, this keeps them safe because now they know what they're walking into. But that still gives them a chance to make sure that if this picture is of a dog that's pure white and they walk in and they see a dog that's pure black, they go, wait a minute, we have a different dog here. So sharing of these profiles or giving you the capability to share them with people that represent you and your owners is very powerful for holding everyone accountable. And then you can report. We have the first national database of incident reporting. And you can report unauthorized pets. You can report pet damage. You can report pet bites. You can report repeat poop offenders, repeat off-leash. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can report that. And that follows the pet and the pet owner in perpetuity in our product. So if they move five years later to Charlotte, North Carolina, then a property manager out here, if they're using pet screening, they're going to be able to see that this pet owner has had a history of having unauthorized pets. Oh. Repeat poop offender. Yeah, repeat poop offenders. Yeah. Well, also, you know, the other dynamic is when you give your vendors or your or your maintenance coordinators are going out to the property, you know, if the, if the dog's name is Brutus, that's helpful. I mean, oh, God, yeah. dog's name. So you might be I can't able to- tell you, I can't tell you the number of times we've had, you know, we do a lot of trade shows and we're getting really heavy in a multifamily because 11 million, of those of that 46 million, 11 million is single family. The difference is multifamily. So huge multifamily industry out there. So we're going to a ton of multifamily trade shows. And a lot of these regional trade shows, the maintenance staff, they, they get a Sherwin Williams or Home Depot or Lowe's. They come in and have a booth set up with these five gallon buckets. And these maintenance guys and gals grab these buckets and they walk around the trade show getting sort of freebies from all these vendors. And when they come to the pet screening booth, we always ask them, what's their experience? Have they, have they ever you know, we had a run in with a, a dog, for example. And I'll tell you, there is something about, there is something true about dogs biting maintenance people because it happens a lot. <laughs> so I'm sure they love the idea that they could be armed with what am I going to run in or, or, or what should I say? What am I supposed to run into when I go inside this unit? Right. And that is very powerful uh, for a lot of reasons, as we've discussed. And that's been a, a, a neat functionality of our product but it's up to property managers and up to our clients to report those incidents. If you're not reporting the incidents, then it doesn't help the industry. So when you have a move out, if a cat, your cat urine is the worst because they tend to go in the same spot over and over and over. It soaks through the carpet, through the pad, into the subfloor, and it can be pretty expensive. But if you don't report that there was $2,500 worth of damage because of a cat, 
then, you know, if that person services somewhere else, the next landlord wouldn't know. So let me ask you a question related to that, John. Have you guys built in language when they're going through uh, whether whether they're applying with a pet or saying no pet? Is there any language in there that describes that if there's any damage at the end of the lease, it's going to be reported back? Yep. Yeah. In our terms of service, we talk about the fact that incidents can be reported by their landlord or property manager. And plus, part of our questions is an acknowledgement. Well, well, first of all, they don't have to uh, acknowledge. They could, well, they have to acknowledge it, but they don't have to agree to it. Our, our, our questions tend to be yes or no type questions. And if it's a, depending on the answer, we might say, okay, well, explain more, give more detail. But one of those questions, ask them, you know, it's, it's, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but it goes something like this. I understand and agree that normal wear and tear for pet damage or for pets is anything that can be remedied with readily available household, you know, cleaning products. Okay. Means if a wider, if a, if a magic eraser can clean it off, that's normal wear and tear. But if there's scratches on the door, because every time the owner leaves and that dog doesn't want it to leave and it just sits at the door and scratches, we would all agree that scratches in a door or in the, or on the wall next to it cannot be cured with a magic erase marker. You actually have to come in and put some mud over it and sand it down. So if somebody said, yes, I agree, that's, that's frankly one of the, you know, that would be the response we're looking for, but we don't set off a, a, a buzzer like bonk if they answer no but what does happen is our FIDO score goes to its lowest score, and then we point out that this particular pet owner, you know, has answered no to that question. And that would be a very quick and easy one to turn down and say, well, we're not renting to you because you don't agree what normal wear and tear is for pets. And you getting them on that record is important because now when they move out and you're doing your move out inspection, all you have to do is demonstrate that the pet damage is above normal wear and tear, which has already been defined and already signed off on by them in our product. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our preferred partners, Roofstock. So what if there was an investing platform that allowed you to collect passive income and generate average annualized returns of over 8% in markets across the U.S., not just the ones in your backyard? With Roofstock.com, you can buy, sell, and own investment properties the way the pros do it and start earning passive income right away. So don't wait. Reach out to them today and get started on Roofstock.com. Well, we talk we talk about that quite a bit. Is is expectation levels being set, uh, especially on the incoming side? It's very important. So, yeah, this is a powerful tool. So, and it was something that came up over the summer, John, because you uh, you mentioned it earlier, but where you you stayed at some campgrounds and you were able to use this product. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, great question. Yeah, so I, and people who know me, you know, they usually see me in a suit, but I love to camp. My 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 wife and I, we've had you know, tents, pop-up campers, you know, travel trailers. So my family has just camped a lot of our vacations. And we, of course, take our dog. We have an Australian Shepherd, Maggie. We try to take her everywhere we go. Um, and we're, I consider us to be very responsible uh, pet owners, but my dog's FIDO score is still middle of the road. And I own the company. But that's important to point out is because my <laughs> dog, brings a lot of housing related risks to a landlord because she's a working class dog. She's an Australian shepherd. She's extremely hyper. When the doorbell rings, her legs are moving, but her body is not moving forward because she's scratching up the floors as she's trying to run to the door. Those 
all the type of risk that we think about as we you know, measure our FIDO score. And that's important to your homeowners because dogs can go sliding across the floor because they're running around very active. But neither here nor there about the FIDO score. As a pet owner, right, because I, I, I'm a pet owner, so I use, you know, I use my own product. When we go to campgrounds, a lot of campgrounds are requiring proof of vaccination. Well, I don't carry my dog's vaccination record in my camper, uh, although I guess maybe I should. But now that I have pet screening, I don't have to because when every time I checked into a campground, I was like in my mind going, please ask me for my vaccination record. <laughs> and then they would. And I'd say, well, it's funny you ask. What is your email address? And of course, they looked at me <laughs> like I had to. And they gave me their email. And from my phone, I logged into pet screening. I went into Maggie's profile. You click a button that says share profile. I type in their email address and hit send. And then I look at them and say, check your email. And then they go to their email and they have this email from pet screening with a link to my dog. And it has everything on my dog, her vet, her pictures, her vaccination records. And now no FIDO score because FIDO score would be irrelevant. We don't share the FIDO score with anybody but property managers. So the FIDO score would never go to a dog walker or a groomer or a campground because they wouldn't understand what a housing related risk score is. That wouldn't make sense for them. What they want though is to make sure, hey, this dog's vaccinated. So I use that over and over and over this summer. And then people are like, this is really cool. What is it? And of course, I'm like, well, this is a kind of a company that I started, um, you know, which is kind of fun for me. But that's a great example of how a pet owner can use their profile over and over and over for 12 months for their 20 bucks. And then we alert them when their vaccinations are about to expire. So it really is a helpful service. And we're also, by the way, alerting you, the property manager, when vaccinations are going to expire. Okay. What is it? Okay. What does it look like? Like when, when we get a tenant, they, they go through pet screening. Now I'm very rarely on the side of looking through tenant information and, and qualifying tenants. Uh, it's not yeah, so, the business. So I guess we quantify as an applicant or a tenant because each of those cases is a little different because sure. we've had tenants yeah. request to get a pet mid-lease, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's di- so, yeah, great question. So we've really, you know, and I think this is where my experience as a property manager sort of shines because I'm number one goal is not to slow you down because we know time is money, especially for your client. So we needed to make a product that was easy and we needed to make a product that could sort of coexist with all the other software products that you're using, whether you know your property management platforms, whatever it may be. So what we've done is as part of our you know, release for 2019, again, we, we call that PS version 2.0, is we give every company, so we'll pick on you guys, the ability to have your own pet screening landing page that's unique with your, com- your, your company's URL. So... Your your you your company has one Park Avenue. I'll pick on Park Avenue. My you know, my management company. Ours is parkavenue.petscreening.com. Mm-hmm. And when you go, when you go to that link, everything you can upload your your company logos. You can alter the page to match your company colors. You can upload any pet addendas that you require, animal addendas if you have any. You can upload your comprehensive pet policies. The idea is for you to use that landing. page as your pet, animal, and no pet gospel. And you're, you have one goal. When you use pets, you have one goal. Get everyone to that link. Because when they go there, they have a choice to make. We have three boxes sort of center of the screen. No matter how much customization you do with your logos and colors, there's always three options in the middle of that screen. One option is I have no pet. 
Start mm-hmm. here. Another one is I have a household pet. Start here. The third option is I'm seeking a reasonable accommodation request. Start here. And whichever one they click, we take it from there, but we know it's coming from you. And then we send the results back to you. Oh, so that one, one landing page makes it really, really easy. And then we give you the ability to create sub accounts. So if you guys ever got into multifamily management and let's say, you know, you have sort of your single family business over here on one side, but then on the other side of your business, you have 10 different uh, apartment home communities. Each of those apartment home communities can have their own policies. Some places allow certain breeds, other places will accept all breeds. We give the, we give you the ability to create a landing page for every single community if you want. And then it all can roll up to one master account. Wow. Very nice. Yeah, very slick. It's, it's, it's really incredible. Yesterday, and, and this is just, I don't mind sharing. Yesterday, we rolled out 200 apartment home communities with one management company. Wow. Oh, cool. That is yeah. great. 40,000 rentals we rolled out yesterday. Wow. They have a landing page for every single one of those. And then they're a, and now they're doing a standardized process where they're going to have the same breed restrictions, the same weight restrictions. The only thing they had was different uh, logos and different photos because you can also upload. A lot of apartment communities have different amenities. They'll have dog wash stations, doggy parks, and if you have those, we give you the ability to upload photos of those amenities. So we really allow you to customize every landing page to fit that community while they, it all rolls up to one master uh, sort of parent account. That is really neat. So let's say that yeah. if you're a owner, let's say you, you, you own some properties, but let's say you, you're going to self-manage because you, yeah. you, you just think that's a great idea, which Brian and yeah, I sure. would argue with them. But let's say, let's say they're one yes. of these companies that yeah. likes to do all the fun things and they get yeah, into yeah. property management. Will they be able to create, I mean, they, they would have their own, even because they're their own property managers. They yeah. would get that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You asked that yesterday. I had a, a, a one of our multifamily asset managers said, hey, mom lives up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she has six rentals and she loves your service. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, absolutely. She goes on to PetScreening.com. She creates her own account. She can pick her own landing page. So maybe she makes the land, say your last name was Jones. Maybe your landing page is Jones management or Jones property management because the domains are first come first serve, or maybe it's just Jones, whatever dot pet screening. Um, you know, you pick your own sort of sublink and then you upload any pictures you want. I mean, they, they do it the same exact way we do it. And then all they have to do is get all their applicants to that same landing page, just like I described. So absolutely. We have, we literally have landlords with two houses up to, you know, 50,000 houses. I mean, we're all over the map. I just, I, it, it, I'd be remiss not to say that people who use us have to send us their pet business. Yeah. If, you only send us in your, if you're only sending us your animal business, we, we'll turn you off. We, we just can't, we have no way to monetize it. And we would be spending money with our legal review team to give you a service that we have no way to recoup any of it. So we watch very carefully our customers to make sure that they're truly giving us all things, pets and animals um, and of course, the no pets comes along with it. But I just want to be clear that if someone has a no pet policy, including independent landlords, then they would not be a good fit for us because we have no way to make money. Yeah. I, yeah. Now, you and I talked about that in Phoenix, I think, in December. We were just 
touching upon that subject. So. That's right. And we have a few, we have very few offenders, but I, I, we do have some property managers that have sent us a ton of animal requests and have like maybe sent us two pets. And, you know, and we're, we're, we've been very kind about it, but we're having to tighten these, those things up a little bit because the reality is, I mean, for <laughs> having an attorney review 60 of those and get two pet pets for 40 bucks, I mean, there's a huge disparity there. So, you know, we're going to be addressing those, but it's it's minor. Most firms that do business with us, their animal uh, number of animals to pets is literally six, seven percent. We give you leeway up to thirty three percent. If the ratio goes above thirty three percent, you're you know we're going to have to have a discussion. But most of our clients are literally down at six, five, six percent. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think. think we fall into that same bucket because we have, you know, we have just sporadic requests occasionally, nothing significant. So I guess, you know, one question that I had for you, John. So when yeah. you're in the process and you've got a pit, you've submitted, I know, uh, I guess a two-part question first is how long does it physically take you guys to do uh, the assessment and get the results back to the applicant? And then I guess from the applicant standpoint, if I apply, how quickly do I expect that that response back? Yeah, so uh, no pets is instantaneous. They 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 answer the question, they do the legal attestation, they hit submit. They they get notified they're finished. You get notified a no pet profile has been shared with you. It's done. Pet the pet owner goes through the process. You know they got to go find some pictures of their pets. They you know, might have to call their veterinarian to get a screenshot. A lot of vets now have log on portals, just like we're familiar with. Uh, by the way. Those types of things, they could always come back later and upload. Our FIDO score is dynamic. So if they submit it without a proof of vaccination, the FIDO score might be slightly lower. And then later, if they upload it, the FIDO score could improve because the idea is, you know, we don't ever want anyone dragging their feet doing the process. But even with pets, because it's a software product and because we're really a data company, uh, we're able to algorithmically analyze all of this data. And so again, it's, 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 it's near instantaneous results for pets, which means even if it's incomplete, meaning they've skipped a lot of things, it just means they're going to get a really low FIDO score. Uh, okay. The FIDO score, again, is only for property managers. Even the pet owner has no idea they're being scored. So, again, FIDO score is for property managers only, kind of for your eyes only. Um, now, we do have people that find out, well, what's my FIDO score? And we just give them an answer. It says, hey, it's up to the property manager to share that with you, um, and we just put it back on you. So, we encourage you to talk more about the results versus the FIDO score, because they're not going to really know what that means. When it comes to, no, now it comes to animals, because we're talking about uniqueness and individuals with disabilities, this cannot be automated. This is not algorithmic. It really does take human capital. And so we review accommodation requests within 24 business hours. Uh, wow. But even when we review it, it doesn't mean it's done in 24 hours because we have two stakeholders that we're dealing with. Well, really three. One would be you, the property manager, but usually the property manager is just being patient. Uh, but the requester might not give us everything we need, and then we have to return it to them and wait on them. Well, that's on them, not on us, right? But that will process down. Let's just say that the requester is giving us everything we need. Now we have to reach out to their third-party verifier or their third-party provider. It could be, like I said, a therapist, counselor, doctor, nurse practitioner, whoever it is. We now reach out to those individuals, and we're just seeking for them to authenticate that that document is, in fact, uh, not only authentic but valid. And if they happen to be in a profession that requires a license, 
We're just asking them if their license is still active and in good standing because that lends to the overall reliability and credibility of the determination that this person even needs an animal. And so if that provider is dragging his or her feet, it can slow the process down. We only give them two business days to respond to us. If they don't respond to us, we return it back to the requester, which is not you, but the actual person who's seeking the request. And we ask them for new uh, in contact information and explain to them that their provider is not responding. So the slowdown, I can assure you, if there is one, is always going to be on the requester or their verifiers, not pet screening. But I would just say, I know this is a really good answer, I'd probably say two to three days is an average to get these things turned around. And, you know, say that again, I'm sorry. Your mind blown. (laughs) I mean, it really is. And it goes to that, the amount of thorough vetting that goes through this and the pun was not intended there. But the amount of yes, <laughs> the the thoroughness of this really kind of goes back to when you when you were talking about people that that just have the no pet policy and and are using you guys for the no pet policy. That this is, I mean this this episode alone goes to show like there's no need for a no pet policy. There's no need for one. Just have no, there, re- there, there really isn't, and there's really no need for breed restrictions. I mean I'm, I'm short of your insurance saying, oh, you can't have these breeds, but we would argue, go find a new insurance agent because there are lots of insurance policies that do not have breed restrictions. And why in the world would you do business with one that gives you breed restrictions whenever we're not veterinarians, you're not veterinarians, and chances are if you have a dog bite and it even partially fits the description, one of their breed descriptions, you're going to probably get denied. So you're better off finding a policy that has no breed restrictions whatsoever. And trust me, there are lots of carriers out there that allow that. And once you find an insurance carrier that provides no breed restrictions, then why would you even have them? Use pet screening. Let us give you a FIDO score. I mean, we can't, you know, guarantee that a dog's not going to bite, Yeah, but at least you'll have a lot more data to show all the people that you did more diligence than right. you're doing today. That's right. Now, Jonathan, if I remember correctly, I, I was going to say that I don't believe that Big has any restrictions for the investor. I don't believe uh, so. Uh, I think we've talked about that with them when we had them on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's that's been a few episodes ago. Listeners, y'all can go back and, and listen to it. I, yeah. I guarantee we talked about pets in that episode. Just I guarantee you. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people stand behind that breed restriction. Uh, you know, when it first came out, it kind of made sense at that point. Right. Um, but a lot of things have evolved and changed, and obviously, you guys' product is a, a great example of that, and just the uh, thoroughness in which you guys are are vetting each animal. So, uh, well, if yeah, one one last comment. I know we're probably wrapping up, but I will say, people who maintain their breed restrictions tend to have a higher number of animal requests because those animal requests are usually breed restricted type pet uh, animals. Yeah, that's why because they're using it as a loophole. Say, well, if you won't allow this as a pet then I'll just convert it to an animal, go, you know, I hate to say it, but go f- figure out a way to find, you know, some healthcare provider. You know, we would, we all know this happens, you know, uh, there is a, trust me, there are people who really need these animals, but there are also a lot of bad actors out there that just want to bring their, their, their restricted breed into the property and they feel like they have nowhere else to turn. So now not only are you getting it, but now you're getting it and you can't collect any revenue on it. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's uh, one example very early on when the, all the uh, ESA stuff started out, 
I remember, I don't remember which property manager it was, but it was somebody from NARPM and they had actually, they're out in the uh, Southwest somewhere. And um, anyways, they were, went to meet a prospect at a property, get to the property and the prospect obviously didn't mention anything about having pets until they got to the property. And then the person has a pit bull and property manager says, well, you know, I'm sorry, we breed restriction. We don't allow pit bulls in our properties. Sorry. You know, and they waited till the end of the showing. And the person told me by the time they got back, to the office, the person had already called back and said, Hey, I've got a, uh, forgot to include that I have an emotional support animal. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's it's, it, it happens all the time. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to crying foul on that. Just understand if you continue to have breed restrictions, your the chances are greater that you're going to have a higher number of animal requests. And if you look at the types of breeds that are for those animal requests and you cannot turn animals down for any breed restrictions whatsoever. But if you happen to take a peek to see what kind of breed is it, I mean, you might just see that a lot of them are falling on your breed list. And by way of example, we've been measuring this now for two years. We've had two years, over 10,000 accommodation requests. The top five breeds for animals, number one, are the pit bull variety. And I don't believe all pit bulls are bad. I want to be clear about that. But it is accurate that the pit bull, the Staffordshire Terriers, those are number one. Uh, number two is the Labrador variety. Number three is German Shepherd. Number four is Chihuahua. And number five is Boxer. And so two of the top five are usually on the breed restricted list. So they're the top three. So really two of the top three is probably a better way of saying that. And then it's also noteworthy that four of the top five are all large breeds. So large dogs bring inherently more risk. We're not saying they're bad. But just think, everything's bigger. The weight's bigger, which means they could go bigger. floors. The piles of poop in the backyard are bigger. I mean, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and I've got, all those I've got two black labs at home, and uh, yeah. their tails are destructive. So, and, I, and I've got a yeah. boxer at home, and it's like he's on speed 90% of his life. I swear. There you go. He's eight, and you would think he's one. He's just jumping. <laughs> Just jumping like he he's, yeah. he looks like Wiley e. Coyote like in a cartoon. His feet get going and he's just he's just standing still. That's right. That sounds, sounds like my dog. Yeah, and yeah, and boxers typically fall into that very high active working yeah. dog train shepherd. So even the, even I'm sure you're a, a, an impeccable, very responsible pet owner, but your 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 pet is still going to be an average score, which means there's a little bit of housing related risk. And you and I would agree of owners of those dogs. If we're a landlord, I probably would charge a little more with someone who has our types of dogs because they really are scratch the floors and stuff. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And our service kind of helps take all the thinking out of it. That's the whole purpose of why we're here. Mm -hmm. Well, I I, I like to allude to something my wife says all the time because of two black labs uh, (laughs) or indoor dogs. She said it's a one-woman battle, I guess, the hair on a daily basis. In our house, we, we literally have two of the iRobots that go wow. off at 6.30. Never stop. An hour, two of them. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something else. Yeah, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, I, I know, I, just everybody. And the thing is, you know, honestly, when, when people are responsible pet owners, they'll do anything for their pets. I mean, they're a member yeah. of the family. And that's probably the bigger message that I want to relay out to the investors is that, you know, not everybody chains up a chains up a dog in the outside or lets it indoor outdoor that sort of thing. Those people actually tend to worry me as a property manager more so than than the ones that view them as an individual family member, mm-hmm. uh, just kids or whatnot. So, but there's uh, 
you know, there's a lot of pet owners out there and there's more and more, it seems. I, I see the application numbers continue to go up. And, and John, I would say in the last two years, have you seen an uptick uh, in the number of submissions you've had other than yeah. just new clients you've added? But how do you have clients? Yeah, 7% from 2000, from 2017 to 18, accommodation requests for animals are up 7%. And I am very confident that from 18 to 19, they will be up the same or, or more. And in fact, it's probably definitely going to be more. And then pet ownership is on the rise. American Veterinarian Medical Association put out, it's AVMA, put out a report last year that said 58% of all U.S. households have at least one pet. And that includes home ownership. We've been measuring it with our clients, and we know that the bottom number is at least 60%. And we hear a lot of people say, oh, God, I got more than that. So it's a fast-growing demographic because people love their pets, and they're like children. And, I, and then another interesting statistic is the average pet ownership is 1.3 pets. So it's not just a unit of one. So if you really think about it, it's, it everything's times 1.3 because that's the average. Yeah. If you're managing 100 properties – and 60% of them are going to have pets, then okay, so now I know it's 60, but it's not just 60 individual pets, it's 60 times 1.3. Basically 80 pets. 18, it's 78 pets you're dealing with. It is a real issue, but again, it's a way of life, and I embrace it, I welcome it. We don't, you know, we like to say we're opening eyes and changing hearts when it comes to breed restrictions, because give. I think everyone deserves a shot, including our four-legged friends, but at the same time, if the data doesn't support doing business with it, then feel free to say no. Uh, when, it's, when it's a pet, when it's an animal, you don't get that same luxury. But we're here to at least make sure that it meets the Fair Housing Act guidelines. And that's all you can do. I mean, that's, 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 that's the only obligation you have is to make sure it meets the guidelines. And rest assured, most property managers, and I'm not being negative. I remember I'm a guy that was in the industry for 12 years. People aren't doing it correctly. They're not being thorough enough. And... and you know, and I think they're really culpable because if something happens and it could be proven that they weren't doing a good job on these reviews, then the question becomes, well, why weren't you? You're supposed to know. You're an expert. So I have one, as we wrap up, John, I've got yeah. one fun question for you. So out of the animal requests, the accommodations that you get, how many of those pictures that you get in have those cute little vests they order off the internet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we see a lot. We, we do see a lot of pictures of vests. Vests are not a requirement whatsoever. It is, um, it's just perhaps it's an additional aid to maybe make the requester's life easier if they, if, if they have like a service animal and they're taking it to areas of public accommodation. But right. vests are not recognized by any of the federal agencies from ADA to Fair Housing Act the Air Carrier Access Act, ACAA for airlines, none of them recognize vests and none of them recognize any type of registration database. So anytime you see someone that flashes an ID card from USAR.org, and I'm not being critical of USA.org, but they are, um, my understanding is they're not a, they're not a not-for-profit, they are a for-profit, uh, but it's just an honor, it's an honor system registration where you register your dog or, or, or miniature horse, because those are the two types of service animals that are allowed, as a service animal, and that's it. The, that's not sufficient information under the Fair Housing Act, because there's no official registration database of any kind recognized by any of the federal agencies. So anytime someone says, oh, here's my registered emotional support animal, Again, we're very kind, 
but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything in the terms of following the Fair Housing Act guidelines. Well, you register your car too, so there you go. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and and people aren't, by the way, people aren't registering them at pet screening either. We're not a registry service. We're right. just a service to help validate, to make sure that they meet the Fair Housing Act guidelines. Yeah. That's what we're to help do. We're, we're not a registration service. That's not what we do. Right. But, but you're an invaluable service. Yeah, it's been, it, it is very valuable. I, we hear no brainer, too good to be true. Heck, I was with HUD in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago, and and even HUD said, you probably have more data than we do. And, and I very confidently said, I bet we do. And by the way, <laughs> our data is your data. If our data can help you, because uh, HUD is our friends, I will tell yeah. you, there was probably a time where I was like, gosh, I feel like HUD's not on our side. But after doing this, HUD is really, HUD's not the one to blame. HUD is an agency that, is, is doing their best, you know, with what they have. They work for the entire general public, the entire taxpaying general public. And HUD is just there to do what they need to do to protect the public. That's their role. And uh, so I'm not critical of HUD. In fact, this problem is not as big as a problem as I thought, but it's still an issue and we're here to help. You know, my final thoughts. And, and yes. I think, I think it, I mean, you, you've said so many you know, points that are just like, oh, that would have been a perfect place to end it. That, that, that right there, oh, that's such an insightful way to, you know, finish this. But it's, it comes down to like, like I said earlier, it's just, it's just, the, there's, this is a no brainer. Like if you're out there and if you're saying I have a no pet policy, and th this is my point that I want to get across to our investors, our listeners, our owners. If you have a no pet policy, that is, I mean, th there's no reason to, that it's, it's, you're just, cutting off potential tenants it's it's a silly yeah how many way know, to look at anyone you, you made it such a good point when you said everyone deserves a chance all right if you if you don't want pets well give it a chance i'm gonna say two, pet two screening. so i know you don't get into the application screening side of it as yep. much but as a broker i understand it because i'm i'm in it too with with our leasing staff but the reality of it is i mean when you look at the applicants that are submitting applications with PET, there's an extreme high percentage of those that are extremely well qualified financially. Uh, they have high credit scores, great jobs, and they care about their pets. They're going to take care of your property. So if you exclude those, what happens is not only are you excluding that portion of the, the applicant pool that's applying with pets, but you're also excluding a large portion of highly qualified applicants trying to rent your property. And you might end up having to settle for something less. So just additional food yep. for. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And my, my final comments would be, it is a no brainer, you know, for property managers and landlords alike, we're, we're no charge, no contract, no termination fees, no software to download. I mean, what do you have to lose? Try us. You don't like us, quit using us. No big deal. I mean, it's that easy. Uh, well, John, well. as always, <laughs> man, I, I agree, uh, agree with you hundred percent on this. Yeah. No doubt. Well, let me know how I can help you guys. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us. Brian, finally got to talk with you about, you know, pets. The I know. Favorite thing been, to talk about. That's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great topic. Well, I'll be back anytime. And, uh, um, you know, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for your leadership. And truly, I think, uh, being exemplary to what a professional property manager should be. And all your clients are lucky to have you. So thank you. Thank hey, you, thank John. you. Appreciate it. Hey. And uh, I've got to jump off. I've got a plane to kick. I get back to Birmingham tonight. So, all right. safe travels. Right. Safe, safe travels, Brian. Uh, be careful on your.
plane ride, which you don't have any control over. But, you know, <laughs> you know we'll, we'll see you soon. We'll be glad to have you back. Listeners, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, downloading and listening. And please subscribe and come back next week when we'll be talking about who knows what. But um, I know it's too late, but we just had our big event in uh, June. Uh, that was that was a blast. I'm I'm gonna guess that it was a blast. I'm sure it was. Uh, it feel free to listen to that episode. episode. You're, gonna, you're gonna commentate an episode on it. So absolutely, check it out. It, it's it's already happened if you're listening to this episode, but you'll be able to hear it or you have heard it already. But uh, you know, we'll see you again next Monday. Look out for uh, the next episodes, and you know, if we're if they're not hitting exactly Monday, look for Tuesday ish. Oh, uh, you gotta have the Clemson Cup. I see. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even look up. I wish I had an Auburn Tigers something. We could just overload Brian with Tigers. You know, he, he has to play two, two Tigers, three know, Tigers okay. a year. LSU. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of overwhelming, just for the record. So. Right. That's it, you guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye now. Hey guys, Brian and Jonathan here. Today we want to tell you about one of our sister companies, the Birmingham Insurance Group. We all know to maximize cash flow and ROI, investors and property managers need an insurance broker who knows their business. Birmingham Insurance Group, AKA Big, does just that. They specialize in the single family residential rental market with customized products that really check all the boxes and they're at affordable rates. You have 24 seven online access where you can pay your bill, add or remove properties, issue certificates, and best of all, everything is on your schedule. Don't worry, they do business in all 50 states, so reach out to Richard Davis and the team to see what Big can do for you. Call them today at 205-616-1107 or online at bminsgroup.com. The songs Lobby Time, Retro Future Clean, and Rocket Power were created by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Visit creativecommons.org licenses by 3.0 on the web.